Pickett, she lays it off to Reza Polias. It's an absolute peach. Yes, driving. What a hit from Melina Reyes. Wow. And Sam Kerr has a hat-trick. Meet him up, one Against the odds, back-to-back, Melbourne Victory are your 2022 A-League Women's Champions. And here on Radio Dub, we're going to celebrate that feat with a very special guest. I'm Josh Parrish. I've got Pakua Frimpong with me, as always. Pakua, did you enjoy the grand final on the weekend? No, it was it was a pretty exciting game. It was, it was a great it was a great game. And you know what? I, uh, Joey Lynch tried to you know say that I was going for our teams, and I said, no, Joey. I'm supporting everybody, and, and it was a great grand final to watch and some really fun goals. And I feel like we needed some better, like some more triumphant music for, you know, our guests coming on. We needed to, you know, really welcome oh, her Oh, come in. on. We've got the best theme music on the station. I, know, I can't change like, it now. Surely as she starts speaking, you know, we are... <laughs> so, come, come I think we'll get taken down we for might, copyright might, if we, we might, do we that. Might. But uh, we are delighted to have Navy Blue Legend... Uh, a real leader in the midfield, and she scored on the weekend in the decider. Amy Jackson joins us now. Amy, welcome and congratulations. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And to be fair, I'm glad the music isn't too loud at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in recovery. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't want, to, don't want to make the headache any worse. Uh, tell us about your your emotions on, on the day when, when that goal went in. Yeah, look, it's a bit of a surreal moment for me. Um I yeah was fortunate enough to to actually be able to play in the finals with everything that had happened um, in the lead up and with the team just scraping through. I think um, we had this quiet confidence about us that we knew we could do well. Um, we were very capable of doing well. It was just getting everybody on the the right path and in the right mindset to do that. So yeah, we got through the fourth team. I think sorry the third team beat the second team, and then we took on the who I thought was the best team of the season in Sydney. Um, and, yeah, to break that deadlock and, and get the first goal. And, yeah, it's something that I'll remember for the rest of my life, that's for sure. It was sort of like a video game or something. You were going up, you know, each boss is a little bit harder and you knocked them all off and did the impossible. Yeah, we had to clock off one and then we had the like the mega boss at the end that we had to <laughs> yeah. It's like a good Crash Bandicoot, you know, mm. game, you know, good. You know, but <laughs> at least you won. Now, Amy, you scored in the grand final. So what's that moment like when that ball's coming towards you going, are you thinking, shit, I'm, ooh, I will explain it. Yeah, there I we did. go. I'm Dump sorry. button. No, it's all right. I'm sorry. <laughs> beep, beep. I'm about to score. I'm about to score. Are you just like focusing on just like hitting it, just making some level of contact with it? Look, when Kyra got the ball, I had a feel like I just knew that I had to be in a certain position at that moment because I knew that she was going to get the ball over. Um, I don't know, call it intuition, call it, I know we'd probably practice it. Um, it was a set piece and our assistant coach, like he hones in on that. So we had done a lot of work in the lead up to that. Um, and I think I just, my position had actually changed for the final mm. compared to where I normally was. Um, so it was almost like it was meant to be. And when it came over, I was actually, yeah, really ready for it. And there's a photo where the defender is basically like almost got her arm wrapped around me trying to get me down because I had like got up and, yeah, really placed the header. So when I look at that, I just think, yeah, it actually happened and sort of have to pinch myself a little bit because I think it kick-started us. Um, we didn't score. We scored our second not too long after that and really started to gain a bit mm. of momentum. So I can't really put it into words yet because it's it has sunk in, but I think it'll be – 
next season or years to come when I'm sort of trying to explain that moment that I'll really get the the articulate words that describe it. Your role this season, you mentioned change for the final. It was changing all year, to be fair, uh, with Kayla going down after the first game. I mean, that's that's a tough one for a midfielder to step in and, and deputise it at centre-half. You know, you had that tough moment in the derby with your own goal as well. So it's been quite a journey for you this season. Yeah, it has. I've, I've had an interesting one personally. I definitely had my role change a little bit position-wise and that was something that I had to adapt to and, and try and learn pretty quickly. Um, I'm so grateful that Brooke came in and um, she did exceptionally well for us too. But, yeah, that was a challenge. But, again, that was what the team needed um, when we lost Kayla. So that was a huge blow for us really early on. Um, and to be fair, that was never she was never going to be able – she was never going to be replaced um, both on and off the field. So I think Jeff did really well in bringing Brooke. Um, but, yeah, for those first few weeks, that was a tough um, role change for me. As I started to get a little bit of momentum with it, I actually got struck down with COVID. So mm. that was another challenge I think that our team went through and we experienced that. A few of us experienced that. And the recovery period and the, yeah, it was it's really tough to come back from that. Um, I think Chids had touched on it during the season. Like you're short of breath, you're fatigued so quickly. Um, it was a really interesting experience. But, again, I think that sort of made all of us a lot stronger and – and it makes the the win that little bit more special because we really fought and overcome so many obstacles to get it. Well, seeing, you know, the, the photos, you know, post-match, Jeff Hopkins looks so thrilled and the way in which the players got around him, it's it's so clear that he's loved and he's such, you know, a leader. Like, obviously, he's a coach, but he's more than that. What was his message at halftime? Because in the first half, Sydney maybe were maybe the more dominant side. What was his message to you guys to about how you were supposed to play in that second half? I think with Jeff, it's we know that he believes in us and you can't buy that. That's the best best quality a coach can have, knowing mm. that he has full faith in you. So um, at halftime, we were aware we were under so much pressure in that first half and it just kept coming. Um, and we were dealing with it. But, and again, that's why I'm so glad that we broke the deadlock because it sort of changed the momentum when we had a bit of a shift. But yeah, at halftime, Jeff just sort of settled us down, reiterated a few messages, made us believe in ourselves and sort of commended us on how well we were dealing with the pressure that was coming our way. And I think with that, we've lifted up, we boosted our confidence a little bit. Um, and then we started to control it a bit more. So we were taking those risks. Um, we were actually trying to strategically figure out how we were going to get past um, their midfield and their block because they were, we were actually quite stretched. And yeah, we just had a few problems to solve and he helped us solve them, reiterated that we mm. were able to and and look what happened. Tell us about your goalkeeper, Casey Dumont. She came up huge for you, but it looked as if she was about to be substituted uh, at halftime and then she ended up being probably player of the match. Yeah, look, there's no stopping Casey. She's such a relentless person um, and she'll be the first to admit she'll have her struggles or she'll have her moments, but you know that she's going to have you back at end stage. So there was no way that she was coming off. If It would have taken something a lot more severe to keep her away from from playing that full 90. If it had gone to 120, she would have been there for 120. Um, but now she's been incredible for us this season. I think everything she's gone through in the last 12 to 15 months has been, um, 
yeah, just it's incredible. Her her shift in fitness, her shift, more so her shift in mentality, um, and then to be out of the game for so long. Took her a couple of rounds to get into it, um, and then with all the changes in our structure as well, it would have been a tough, um, probably tough mentally for her. She wasn't saving every goal that was going in, and her standards are so high, so that would have she would have struggled with that. Um, but yeah, she definitely kept us in so many games and credit to her. She's, she deserved to win the best player on the weekend. She won us the game really. As a midfielder, you know, and one of the more experienced um, players in the side, how have you gone about, you know, really being a leader amongst, you know, some of the younger players who, you know, are really finding themselves in a type of, you know, maybe the position they play and the playing style that works for them. How do you go about, you know, leading the team? Yeah, look, I think I've got good people around me. So I... I'm not one to talk too much. I just try and do my job and do it as best as I can. Um, and look, the younger girls that are coming in, they're going to take my spot. And to be honest, I'm at a point in my career where that's okay. I'm I'm a very competitive person and I'm super hungry for success, but I don't need to change who I am um, just because somebody else is good. I want to celebrate their success as well. So we've got some really talented young girls um, coming through the ranks. And if they're pushing me out of my spot or pushing another player out of their spot that's awesome because we all get better because of that and I think that's what we really had this year um the younger girls were able to step up and they took the opportunities um when people got sick um when people were away with on national team duty so your likes of Alana Murphy who was a train on with us last year and then comes in and is a starter at some point during the season she scores goals she assists goals like that's awesome and for me as an older player, I love that because, yeah, I, th- I mentioned it in an article, I've been able to be a part of that. And if I can help her in some way, whether it's off the field, on the field, if she's got questions, if it's just, oh, that's what's actually possible within the game and outside of the game, if I can be that mentor for her, then I'm so happy with that. I've already bought my stake in the Alana Murphy fan club. I'm ready mm. there. I'm there. You know, you guys, you know, people, some people, you know, a little bit far behind. You're too slow. I've, I'm captain CEO. I don't know what it is, but I'm ready to support is, it. Is this where I bring up the uh, FE Emerging Games I commentated last season? Josh, okay. it's not about you. It's not about you. It's about the player, we, we and I'm early, supporting. Early Alana Murphy investors. As soon as we uh, we heard in preseason, she was she was smashing it in training, picking out the top corners and so forth. I think I think we had Melina on just before she did her injury, and uh, you know she was she was singing her praises. Um, actually, let's bring up Melina on that note because. She came in at the perfect time, and there's some something about Molina's, uh, I think, attitude that just gives you a bit of a mental edge in games. Yeah, it really does. And you know what? Again, credit and praise to her. The struggles that she's been through this season, um, unless you're part of the setup, I don't think the outsiders would quite understand. I mean, she's been training by herself. She's been in the gym. She's been doing physio appointments, all of this stuff behind the scenes to give herself mm. the best opportunity to get back and to contribute. And with that, she scores in a in a semifinal, in a prelim final, sets up the goal for the like the winning goal in the grand final. I, I can't praise her enough. She's she's something different in the sense that she'll never be an egotistic person. She works hard for everything mm. and everybody appreciates what she's capable of doing. And, I mean, if we had have had her for the full season, I don't think we would have been in the same situation, um, like just struggling to get into the finals. She was on fire last year and then she's come in in even better form in the last, like, what, four games. I think there was something that came out in the the media in the lead-up to the game that uh, 
Melina's workmates at, at Bunnings, I think it is, didn't know she was a footballer. They thought she played netball or something. So that's she'd just be a great of, netballer, I mean, though, I'm sure. I'm sure she'd, she'd be great, be great at every at sport. Whatever she set her mind to. But that just goes to show how, how down to earth she is, that she's uh, she's certainly not bragging about it when she's off the clock. <laughs> no, the best. I think for us, like, we're quite sim- similar in the fact that as soon as we're outside of football, we don't want to talk football. Mm. We want to be talking about other things that are happening in the world and we want to know what work's like and we want to know what's happening overseas or we're very, very much um, on the same page in that. So if we can avoid the soccer talk, it's, yeah, we're happy with that. Good, good and not because sanity. <laughs> just, yeah, we've got so many other things and so many other interests and I think that that helps both of us balance out um, our football career and everything else that's going on outside. Now, you've been at Melbourne Victory for a long time. You know, even before, when you were at Melbourne City, before that you were at Melbourne Victory again. What, yep. Is this one of the closest groups that you've ever played with? Or is this is there something different particularly about this group that has been different from all the other times you've played? You know, maybe at other clubs or even just at Melbourne Victory? Yeah, look, so I had, I think, four seasons with Victory initially. Um, and then I went over and had four with, with City. And then I've come back and this is my third again with um, Victory. So... Um, to be completely honest, for me, out of I think the five championships that I've been able to collect last year, you want to brag about so that my- a little bit more? Now, come on, talk about that five championships. Nah. We got to talk about that a little more. No, no, no. Just the the fact last year when we won it, I think for me it was the camaraderie within that. I and don't get me wrong, we did have a really good vibe this season. But personally, for me, I think it was because I had some of my closer friends sort of next mm. to me. Um, it, it felt different. It felt really different. And I think I contributed, um, I could give everything that I had last year, whereas this year I was a little bit interrupted as well. So um, I think in that sense, last year for me was um, the pinnacle of my career. Um, and this, I mean, this is a very close second. Don't get me wrong. I'll take a goal in a grand final and a grand final win any day. But to do it last year um, and just to see how excited Jeff was about it, I'd that I feed off that. Well, if people go to victory games, there's a group of active supporters that follow you around, and there's a banner that uh, comes with them everywhere they go, as well as the extend the season banner, Absolutely. which we are 100% on board with. There's the Amy Jackson true blue banner that seems to come to every game. That must put a smile on your face every time you see it. Yeah, I'm the official president of the club. Um, <laughs> Casey is now official secretary. Um, yeah, look, there's the fan club, um, they've travelled with us to away games. We invited them to celebrate the end of um, like the win with us on the weekend. Um, and it's it just goes such a long way to know that there are people invested in us and mm. win, lose, draw, they're there and they're making us smile and they're supporting us every step of the way. So for me to see that, the fact that they're wearing my jerseys, they've got a sign, there's something that, I don't know, it just it makes me so grateful to be a part of it. Um, and to know that you can have that impact on someone else is just incredible. To see that's you know obviously fantastic. How do you how do you think we next next steps are to you know build that and make that you know bigger you know in terms of women's football and get be, better engagement and you know not make it you know such a small group and have it like bigger and you know get bigger and better. Yeah, look to be fair, like we had at the Melbourne Derby, so our prelim final, it was an away game for us, but we had the men's yeah. support. and that was next level so I think we do have it it's just the accessibility and I think the more games that are played as curtain raises to the men or um on the same time as the men's imagine if a men's game was a curtain raiser to a women's game like I feel like 
then have that support crew there ready, um, primed and ready to like cheer us on. But I think it's definitely going in the right direction. Um, it's just more that accessibility to it and making sure that fixtures sort of allow for, for that to happen. Yeah, we've we've been uh, banging the drum for uh, uh, extending the cool season jumps, and uh, getting it full home in a way because, you know, I think this, this league deserves it. You've got so many players making so many sacrifices off the pitch to make ends meet and make it work and fly into state every weekend and get time off work and so forth. Like it's, it's, it's such a big undertaking for players and I, I think – this league, now that it's separate and now that the clubs are, you know, investing their own money in the league that they run, you know, we want to see them put their money where their mouth is and, and make this a full home and away season for next year or, or the year after. Yeah, I'm really curious to see um, what the future of the league is going to look like. Um, I've been in the setup. That was I've just completed season 11 and I look back at it and don't get me wrong, there's been so many positive strides that have been taken, um, but I still think there's a long way to go. Um, and that being one of the one of them, it's so hard to do your six months on and then six months off. And mm. even though I mean you're not technically off, you're still playing local football or you're taking up an opportunity. Um, I think it makes it a bit harder to get that balance right with you know balancing family or balancing if you've got an, a career outside. But then again, if you had a full season, you wouldn't have all those challenges. So for me, it's built me into the person that I am. So I would never want to change it. But for the future generation, I hope that they don't have to learn the hard way like I did. Absolutely. Now, after this season's finished, what's the plan for you? You know, what's what are you doing in the off season, and then are you coming back to Victory? Obviously, this is for next uh, season twelve. Yeah. I've signed a two year deal. Um, I signed my double contract or two years last year, um, so I will have a kick locally. Um, keep myself fit. I've got my family, my friends, all my support group there in Melbourne. Um, so now that I've relocated back from Melbourne, um, I was in Brisbane previously. So I'll be, yeah, be here. I'm at home. I'm surrounded by my people, really happy. And then I think we'll go again pre-season maybe September. I mean, this is all if the body stays fit, mind stays healthy. Um, that's my plan. And then, yeah, season 12 and then again reassess after that. And I'm really enjoying my life at the moment and I've got a really good balance and I'm settled. So, why not keep doing it? Absolutely. Why ever not? Amy Jackson, thank you so much for uh, giving up your time and your, your mad Tuesday uh, to, uh, <laughs> to tell us a little bit of, uh, about what uh, the celebrations have been like, the journey of the season. I think there's sort of two, two themes that keep, we keep coming back to with the Victory Players is the closeness of the group and the amount of adversity that the team and even individual players in the team have come through in their careers. It's, you know, an extraordinary group of players, an extraordinary achievement to come from fourth and win the grand final. So uh, uh, have a fantastic off-season. We can't wait to see you back in, uh, in Navy Blue next year. Thanks for having me, guys. Amy Jackson, True Blue, from Melbourne Victory, our guest today on Radio Dub. As Melbourne Victory celebrate their grand final win, we'll take a short break. We'll be talking more Dub on the other side, and we've got a Matilda squad to break down, so don't go anywhere. Pickett, she lays it off, Teresa Polaris! It's an absolute peach! Yes, driving! What a hit from Melina Rez! Wow! And Sam Kerr has a hat-trick! Meet him up, one now! 
Radio Dub here on FNR Football Nation Radio. It's a grand final special. We spoke to Amy Jackson from Melbourne Victory before the break. That interview will be up on our podcast platforms later this evening if you missed it. Uh, but Josh Parrish here with Pakua Frimpong, and we've got to do our own breakdown of the grand final. Before we get into that Matilda's squad, it was a bit of a heartbreaker for Sydney yeah, FC in the end to... Probably were the the better side on the on the day, but they couldn't finish their chances. Casey Dumont was a, with a, a best on ground performance, and and Melbourne Victory they they snatched their chances when they when they arrived. As Amy Jackson said, you know, speaking about you know, think of the City FC were the best side all season. I thought that also. You know, I've said it multiple times on the show. Sydney FC, it is the story of football. If you don't put away your chances, that's you know, you can't really win a game like that. I thought that Victory did well and, you know, they really held on with that pressure and, and when they had their opportunities, they took those chances and they made it quite difficult for Sydney to score because they, mm. quite frankly, Sydney were creating opportunities but they were in real bursts and they didn't really sustain it, you know, like real attacking mm. pressure from the front three um, that was connecting with their midfield at, uh, for large portions of that game. So I think that's where they'd be a little bit disappointed in that in that. It's interesting because it, it seemed as if Victory were really keying in on, on Courtney Vine as the threat and almost shifting the whole team to that side of the pitch when they were defending at times. And it left a lot of space for Princess Sabini. Yeah, but I don't, even though she looked good at, at, at times, I don't think she quite made the most of the, I guess, opportunity that she was given in, in 1v1s constantly. I think that's the story of Princess Sabini's you know, season. I think at times she's failed to maybe propel herself to that, you know, that step, you know, to mm. be one of those real, like, dominant forces. Especially when her two teammates in the forward line are Matilda squad regulars yeah, now and she hasn't I, kicked on. Exactly. But I will say that she wasn't the poorest of that front three. I thought Remy Seamuson had a poor game and she didn't really have anything mm. of stand. Yeah, and she was substituted Yeah, she was well, substituted so. quite, a, like, you know, early on in that second half. So she wasn't fantastic and... I thought Abini what probably was their biggest threat, you know, but Polly Doran stepped up and, you know, she really you know, she, you know, she was like, I'm not gonna let Princess Abini beat me, you know. I know that Courtney Never's on the other side and she's a Matilda and everyone seems to be going on her side to, you know, attack her. But she mm. did a great job and Vine I think at times failed to really create you know, she was she was going out players and she creates opportunities like that. She bet Nevin a few times, but she kind of fails sometimes with that final ball and that final finish because she, if you remember, she had that opportunity in the box and she didn't really. It was just one on one with Casey Dumont and she went. She sprayed it far um, wide on the right hand side and didn't really, mm. you know, get a shot on target where she definitely should have scored. That was the moment, wasn't it? I mean, if Sydney yeah. score that, perhaps it's a it's, it's a, a different, different game. It's a different game. They might go to extra time. You know, it it could it could be an entirely different result we're talking about here. It could be oh my god, Sydney FC another comeback from two 0 down in a final. You know, they do the double, so it's on a knife edge with these these things. You know, I I do wonder whether Victory's big game mentality is just a little bit stronger yeah. than Sydney's when you look at their record of making five grand finals, incredible achievement, but they've only won one of them. I think it's a it, a lot of praises Jeff Hopkins deserves because he's mm. done. He's prepared his team to really set them out with a great game plan. To, you know what? This, well, this is the plan we have to execute, um, and this is what we're going to do in the finals because we've done this before. And he, I think he's shown he's one of the best coaches, if not the you know best coach in the league. And the way in which his players love him and he really supports and loves his players that you, that shows in a football mm. like it shows. Um, 
in that in that confidence in the big exactly. moments when they're under Knowing pressure. Knowing that you know, you know, something someone will talk about a little bit later. You know, um, you know, Jeff Hopkins, his players believe in him, and they believe in the game plan one hundred and ten percent. Yeah, I, th- I think that makes Victory such a resilient team in these situations. And the equation has changed for them since they had Melina Ayers back. You have to credit the impact that she's had because as soon as she's come in, they've looked a different side yeah. and knocked off the three best teams in the league. I think, yeah, Melina is, you know, it's going to be quite interesting because obviously she's not going overseas. Uh, she's going to be playing in the MPL Victoria. I believe I so, I believe yeah. so. Would, would I haven't got, like, you know, a final confirmation on it, but I, I assume that's what she would do. I think it'd be hard she for her to play. She usually plays for South Melbourne. Yeah, I think it'd be hard for her to go overseas, considering that she hasn't played all year. But it's going to be interesting, you know, about her getting into that Matilda's squad potentially, you know, down the line. Well, is that is now when we we no let's no let's let's no some some people didn't want to respect the A League women's this year today okay I want to you know <laughs> let's talk about it and you know what about because I was thinking about Sydney FC and thinking that it's quite interesting that they've lost I think four or five grand finals uh, I believe that's the stat. Yep. Um, or like seven, something like that. Some yeah, it's four out of the last five. five they've, they've, they've qualified for for four grand fi- five grand finals, and they've lost four of them. The only grand final they won was against Sam Kerr's Perth Glory two years ago. Oh, what a, that's you know at least that's one to win. Um, but and they were carried by Visa players in that game. Exactly. It, in my opinion, I think Savannah McCaskill was a cut above, um, and there was an outrageous goal from a fullback in uh, Sofia Huerta that day, which was just an absolute yeah. bomb. So, you know they they. They've they've got a a strong squad on paper, better than anyone else in the league. But sometimes in these in these big moments, they've I, I, I think the more the more you fall short in that on that big stage and that big occasion, the more of a almost complex it becomes. It happens, and I, I think uh, for me about Sydney is something needs to change for them because you can't you can't tell me that losing four or five grand finals doesn't have an effect on the players, which they've had a pretty consistent playing group that's kind of moved on, like the core mm. group of them. Like uh, Nat Tobin stayed around and like I know they've got the same players really. Something needs to change and maybe they need – because they said – Mackenzie Hawksby told us at the start of the season that their goal was to win the Premiers and, you know, win the whole win the whole league – and that hasn't happened. So you can't tell me that doesn't have an effect on players to know that they feel like they've failed in some kind of way. Mm. Does Ante need to, you know, maybe start thinking, you know, do I need to change my game plan? I know they've got a really great structure, but maybe they're just a good regular season team and they're not a great postseason team. It's hard because they did actually play quite well. They, d- they did. You know, they didn't play poorly. They stuck to their principles and they just didn't execute and they came but, up against an informed goalkeeper. Is- you know, it's little things, and if in the, those toughest moments, if you don't play your best football, does it really matter what you played around those? You mm. know, and that, that's I think it's a fair question to ask about these teams, and you know, and all kinds of teams all around the world. If if you can't play your best football in the most crucial moment, does it really matter about everything else? It's it's so tough because I, I do feel sorry for them because they were the outstanding team. I mean, Melbourne Victory. We were bemoaning some of their their play during the regular season. And yeah. yes, they had players out, but they were wildly inconsistent. Yeah. And, you know, they, they had serious defensive woes and there were many frustrations about the composition of the midfield. They managed to fight, to pull it together I at think, the right time. But yeah. I also think that the A-League women's is a little bit more prone to this kind of thing happening where a team makes an uh, you know an unforeseen run and 
potentially are champions based on a season where they, they weren't the best team over the course of the year because it's only a 14-game season and it's such a sprint that if you sneak into the finals and hit a hot run of form and there are all these one-off, one-off games, like it, it leaves the competition open to, I guess, being skewed by... Uh, and I, yes, that's that's the nature of a final session, a finals uh, system. But the fact that there's so few games to get into the finals leaves the competition open to being skewed by a small sample size. Does, does that make sense? No, it certainly does. And you know, we've spoken about this season needs to be extended mm. if we want to see the best football, and we want this place actually develop into you know crucial you know for the for Matildas and for you know maybe if they want to go overseas mm. and stuff like that and even just for the competitive integrity of the exactly of and the competition because when, if you set a higher standard in the a-league women's I mean it means it's a trickle-down effect that everybody's going to play better in the lower leagues because they're going to know they have to play better to mm. get up into you know into the a-league women's which is the ultimate goal so first things as always if they need to extend the season there is a lot of work that a lot of people need to do and they need to have a review and you know we'll see what they you know decide what they get out of that review but we need to we need to also trust that the people who will look at the review will know what's how to mm. fix the problem and sometimes I don't think I have faith in them to do that I think the best part about the weekend were was probably the stories that came out of the final and the yeah. human moments and the post-match celebrations. And I, th- I don't think you can really go past Leah Privatelli giving her medal to Caitlin Morrison. What a great Morrison. moment, honestly. There's a, uh, I think someone was cutting with, onions in the room when yeah, that happened. We spoke about it with her. You know, but you, you asked her about you know having Kayla you know, being out for the season. She spoke so highly of her. So it doesn't, wasn't surprising that she brought her up, but it, was, it, but it didn't take away from how, how special mm. that moment was. And... It shows how close that group is that they can, they are all there with each other and they are in this moment. They are living for the moment and it it's so incredible how close they are and how well they stepped up in those big moments. Isn't it just? Well, it is. Uh, shall we? Uh, shall we get onto the Matildas? The shadow realm. I don't know <laughs> what realm we're about to head into, but I just I'm nervous, Josh. Come on. So the squad. Do we have any out- tension music? <sighs> I don't know, do we? I can probably rustle something up. Okay. But uh, the squad came out today yeah. and we were sort of bracing ourselves for disappointment because this show's been, uh, I think, fair to say, very sceptical of uh, Tony <laughs> Gustafsson uh, and skeptical. some of what his... what a word uh, to use, sceptical. Uh, and some of his selection decisions and his game plan and the performance of the Matildas at the Asian Cup was a big disappointment. So we were hoping to see more experimentation, more players from the periphery getting a go. Uh, there are particular informed players uh, in the A-League women's competition that we would like to see in the setup. Take me through the, the squad and your reaction to uh, who's in this team for the New Zealand well, Games. the squad is relatively the same since like the last, you know, the Asian Cup, it's relatively the same. The only key, really big one is that Katrina Gori is now in the squad, but she was also part of the squad uh, in the for the Asian Cup, but she she declined to play, um, and she's now going in for these, you know, two New Zealand games. Josh, I'm going to be honest with you. When the squad came out for the Asian Cup, me and you spoke about, it and I said. Mm. How are there only like four defenders in, I mean, sorry, four midfielders in this squad? I was confused. I didn't realize you could play football with only four midfielders in a squad, you know, when you're trying to play lots of games in a competition. I didn't think it was possible. But you know what? Smarter people than, smarter, people who are smarter than me think that's possible. Getting Katrina Gorey in there, fantastic. 
Alex Chidiak not being in the squad. I said, hmm, the PFA, the, the players vote for the PFA team of the season. Mm. And they had Alex Chidiak in the team. They had Alex Chidiak in the team. So you're essentially telling me that these other, you know, female footballers don't know football well enough if they think that Alex Chidiak is, you know, good enough to be in that team. She also won the victory medal. She did with with uh, with Claudia Bunch. Yeah, so that the that was the players' player of the yep. season award was shared with Claudia Bunch, yep. and then the victory medal, um, or the overall um, award, uh, was won by Alex Chidiak outright. So her club thinks Gosh, that she's club, the exactly. best player in the team. And it's quite ironic. The PFA thinks she's in the team, the team of the season. season. I think every. Commentator and anybody pundit. who's seen football in the past, you Any, know, few anyone months. with two eyes who understands the game a bit has praised her for her unbelievable high standard of performance. Uh, I would, I would argue, throughout this season, certainly the back end of this season, certainly in the preliminary final against Melbourne uh, City, where she was the best player on the park and just ran all day and was desperate to win and involved in everything. Josh, I think the most disappointing thing about. The, you know, the, the, the team got released. It is what it is. But Tony Gustafsson's press conference, I feel like that's something we we really need to deep dive in. Like, you know, delve deep into it because the man said a lot of things and I was confused by a lot of things. Some things made sense. Some things I was wondering. I was looking around like I was Mr. Bean in that gif and I go, what's going on, guys? Because the key thing I took away from it was he said, he said, this is where we really start to prepare for the Women's World Cup. Now, that's a problem for me. Is He's saying there's roughly eight camps to go before the Women's World Cup. So now we're starting to get ready for the Women's World Cup. What were we doing before? Were we not setting up a game plan or were we just playing for fun? I understand that COVID happened and there was a lot of things that happened. But surely he can't be serious in saying that this is where the moment where we start. Because he also said, made the point saying that a lot of players now need to go overseas in order to become, you know, eligible realistically to be in that Matilda squad. Well, why wouldn't you tell them this before the season started? So they maybe their agents could, you know, reach out and they've realised, well, Tony Gustafsson said, this is what I need to do. A lot of questions. He, uh, he, didn't, he made me ask more questions than I got answers to. I thought he also threw Chids under the box, bus with his Absolutely. answer on that. Saying there that was a level ref- of gaslighting she- that I've never seen before in my personal life. I'm going to ask you. Saying that she knew what she needed to do to get in the in the team and she just needed to play consistently and that she's turned down call-ups before to focus on her club career, which I think is stretching the truth. I'd love to, I'd love to hear from her side of the fence on that. Um, and he did give her the opportunity. He did, you know, say that I'll leave that for Chids to answer. But he also, he wasn't, you know, he didn't say that in the most positive light, if I'm completely honest, when Mm. he was making those remarks. Yeah, I mean, he started off saying that she's this unique creative talent with an amazing left foot and, you know. So would the Matildas not need that? Exactly. Like, I'm thinking, I think we could use a unique creative talent with an amazing left foot. The problem I also have is that this is a, like, everyone in this squad now is, Mm. like, relatively, they are kind of, more or less going to be the squad heading into the Women's World Cup. That's basically what Tony Gustav said. He said he's a left room for other people to come into the squad, but he's saying we now need to, you know, win, like dwindle down, whatever the word is. I don't know what Drill it is. Down. Drill down? Ah, words, words, words. Um, to find out who the players are. So, like, that's like only a few players that are realistically going to change. How is that set these players need to play better if they know their position's kind of already set in stone? Mm. This is why we're losing players like Ali Green, who's going to play for New Zealand, because 
it's there's not enough competition for places in this squad, clearly. Or there's not a meritocracy in place whereby competition for places can actually can actually function. There is no meritocracy in the Matildas. There is an established hierarchy. And for players who are pressed with their faces pressed against the glass looking in, I don't know that there's anything that they can do on the pitch, you know, short of scoring a hat-trick in every game, uh, to actually get into the, the picture. It seems there seems to be players who are included no matter what, no yep. matter whether they're playing well or not. There are certain favourites and, and players who can coast and there are certain players who, who cannot convince the national team selectors. And I say selectors plural because I'm not convinced that Tony Gustafson is the only person with input, serious input oh, into the absolutely, squad. absolutely. Uh, there seems to be nothing they can do to convince them that, that, that they'll be useful to the national team when the Matildas aren't exactly lighting the uh, place no. up in terms of their performances. And I think that a lot of people are going to be surprised if they don't watch women's football. If you look on, you know, the results of the last World Cup, you think, oh, no, Australia kind of got a chance. You know, like they, they mm. could do something. Let me tell you clear as day. The p- teams that have got better have got better by a long way. Teams like Spain, who were kind of on the fringes, you know, last, in, in, you know, in women's football before, they are ready. They have the best, one of the best players, if not the best player in the world or, or multiple in their squad, and they are ready to dominate. I think it's the World Cup, Women's World Cup is looking very scary for the Matildas. It's a stronger field this it's time. It's a very strong field, and I honestly, I'm feeling very anxious thinking about it because. What we've seen is we haven't we haven't seen enough, you know, level of creativity. And I want Ante, you know, Ukic to, to call Tony Gustafsson to start talking football because we might get a level of creativity that, you know, we're seeing. Uh, I, th- I think he needs to get in Tony's ear because exactly. uh, it was an amusing moment during the press conference. We should we should explain because not everybody has watched oh, back the, the thing like in, the, in detail as we have. Uh, but, you know, he, Ante was asking him tactical questions. and uh, I was very lost. I'm not going to lie to you. I had, I was, <laughs> I had to write yeah, the words down. Credit to, credit to Tony G on this occasion. He did actually engage with it yeah. and was genuinely giving Ante insight and answers. And then uh, the, the media officer running the, the presser um, moved them along and, and Tony told Ante to call him and they can get it get in depth and nerd out about it so i think like, honestly i think he could uh he could use auntie's expertise use but there are certain things that he is in complete denial about yeah and, and that's what really struck me is that the assessment of the performance in the asian cup is totally divorced from reality absolutely and he was talking about facts and stats and figures and he, yeah, only he got wants to quite be judged he got quite on, upset got, at, at that question about the long balls to mm. sam Kerr, which i think is a very valid question because he, you know in though he's like oh people remember the last 10 minutes well if yeah, you so if, let's just explain the answer first before um so he was asked about you know why should the australian public have faith in you and your game plan when we resort to the long ball to knock it long to, to Sam Kerr all the time and it's pretty one-dimensional and unimaginative, you know, based on what was dished up in the in the Asian Cup against against South Korea. Um, and he objected to the, I would the say, factual assertion, yeah. but the criticism that his teams play, play long balls on the regular. And, you know, I, I think it's – he's like – in those last 10 minutes, when you are under pressure and you really need a goal – that's when the game plan is on full display because you mm. it's what it's when you're in those pressure moments if you believe in your game plan you will you will trust it 110% and you will follow it through he said in that south about that south korea game that there were some players who didn't trust the game plan and got nervous as a coach who's been there for a year 
surely you go, that's very concerning for myself that players aren't trusting my system. What do I need to do like better? And he's talking about these two reviews. Well, those two reviews, if they don't change, if the game against the two games against New Zealand, if we don't change any of our game style, well, then you wasted your money on those two reviews, if I'm completely honest. The reviews were really interesting to me because he was saying, oh, we actually played less long balls in that tournament. But who was he comparing it to? Exactly. Was he comparing it to Japan or South Korea or China? No, he wasn't. He was comparing those numbers to Australia's previous numbers in the Olympics. So, of course, we played less, less long, long balls. balls. Of course. Because we were playing against minnow teams. We were playing against teams that we were being, you know, 18 nil. Of course, we played less long balls than we did previously. And Ante Jukic in ESPN did a, a pretty comprehensive breakdown at the time that Australia went long and direct way more often than Absolutely. any other team in that tournament. So to, it's like when – you know what it reminded me of? It's like when Apple do those big, big, glossy uh, announcements, product yep. announcements, and they say, oh, the new iPhone it's is, this, this, is 20% faster than the I old iPhone. I do have iPhone. the new iPhone, no, Yeah, okay. Well, uh, you being an Apple sheep, let's, let's step aside <laughs> from that. But what they, they do is a, uh, it's, it's a tactic whereby they pretend that the competition doesn't exist. Exactly. They say the new iPhone is 20% faster. You say 20% faster than what? Oh, the previous iPhone. iPhone. Well, of course it's faster than the previous iPhone. iPhone. You're not comparing it. I will say. You're not comparing apples and apples. You're yeah. comparing apples and oranges. And that's exactly what Tony, Tony G did in today's press conference. And it is totally self-serving and it's pushing a false narrative and treating us like idiots. And I'm honestly, I'm sick of being treated like an idiot. No. I have I have two eyes. I understand the game a bit. Exactly. I can see no, that when the going it, gets tough, you are knocking it to Sam Kerr every single time. And he brought on Emily Van Egmont in the South Korea game specifically to do that. And he said so after the game. He admitted it straight after the match. So to turn around and say that wasn't the game plan, where you were pumping in free kicks from a halfway line, uh, you know, in the first half, Absolutely. is is treating us like we're idiots. And I, I just I can't deal with it anymore, honestly. He said that we won't see... He said that last year was, you know, a, it was a bit of an off year. And he said we won't see the same things this year as we did last year. I think those words need to be the key, the key phrase that we remember when we see them play in these camps because he has to be held accountable for his actions and the way in which this team plays. And I think it's disappointing that he doesn't really come down here to watch the games being played. And I think that has a lot to do with his selections because I think that other people maybe have more input per se because they do mm. they do live down here and they do see the games. Maybe they see the game differently to us. Mind you, you know, I'm 22. Maybe I don't know football very well. But I feel like I, I have some level of common sense and I think some of the decisions that have mm. been made, they don't pass the common sense test. It's That's just me. It was interesting the sort of... Uh, the justification for the double standard, I suppose, where some players have been vaulted straight into the senior yeah. setup at a very young age, and now others are being told, actually, you're not ready. Mackenzie you Hawksby. Have to, you have to go through the junior national teams. And his, his justification for that, and it makes, I guess, some sense um, in isolation, it was that they didn't have a junior Matildas or a young Matildas um, program you know, they didn't have youth national teams playing games. Therefore, in order to get a look at these players and get the minutes at a high level, they had to promote them straight into the senior team. And uh, players like Jessica Nash come to mind, for example. Yeah. You know, in a normal year, she probably wouldn't get called up. Um, yeah, you know, there are a few other examples. Briley Henry is yeah. another good example. Um, so that makes sense. They're teenagers. 
it Absolutely. was kind of weird to see them in the senior setup. Great, and great playing, for them. And playing, you know, against, against you know the United States and stuff. It, like exactly. That. Like it, it was striking to see them called up quite so early with so few A League women's games under their belts. Yeah. Um. So that part of it makes sense. But then to turn around to someone like Mackenzie Hawksby, who's twenty one, the best player in the best team in the exactly. competition. If it wasn't for Mackenzie Hawksby, Sydney FC aren't the team they are, and it's so clear as day. And I mean, people might quibble with that and say Courtney Vine's the best player. Yeah, but but I think Mackenzie but Hawksby has the, the, has, has the best impact. And I think it's such a, it's so interesting considering the fact that we lack midfielders. Like, it's literally the, the biggest positional fault for the Matildas and because we don't have enough defensive cover. And Mackenzie Hawksby, she's not, you know, great defense. That's not, she's not great defensively, so that's maybe okay, but... We still lack creativity at times, and he was speaking mm. about you know we you know we haven't we aren't playing the right ball in you know in our final pass. You know we're not playing the final final pass from the correct area, exactly. which is actually a good observation should, and, and interesting because exactly. he was talking about the percentages. He's obviously a stats focused guy, and he was talking about the percentages of you know and the xg from different areas of the pitch, like a, across from the byline, not being as Absolutely. good as across from the side of the box or a cutback. But- but you can't tell me that, you know, there are lacks of Briley Henry, Jessica Nash, and maybe even Courtney Nevin, right? Courtney Nevin's in this squad, and she's pretty solidified in the Matilda squad as of late. You can't tell me that Courtney Nevin in her position is more valuable than Mackenzie Hawksby playing in a midfield position or Alex Chidiak. And I'm not trying to, you know, compare, you know, players because they're all in there for different reasons. They play different positions, but... It's mm. where we're talking about, you know, the ages, and he's trying to, he's essentially saying to Mackenzie Hawksby, you are, you're good, but you're just not, you know, you're not, you're not ready to play at the big kids' table. You know, maybe next maybe, World Cup. Maybe, when maybe, I'm no longer coaching I, yeah, the maybe, team, I've moved you know, on to a this, bigger, this, bigger this, and better and job. This. But I think it's so, you know, it's, it's kind of disrespectful, honestly, that other players get a look in and they haven't had as great of a season because Mackenzie Hawksby has been one of the five best players of this year. You can put her wherever you like in the five. You know. mm. But surely she, I know she's on the extended list, but there are some players in that list who I think is quite surprising that they've made it on this list again. That, that squad is basically, you know, the greatest hits plus a couple of yeah um, extras, I suppose. And, I don't know whether that's beneficial to the Matildas to call up the same lot of players again that failed at the Asian Cup. Yeah. I think I think you have to start getting real with some of these players who underperformed at that tournament and saying to, you know, I don't want to single out anyone in particular, but like we've made criticisms at the time. You can go back and listen to our post-Asian Cup wrap-ups if you yeah. know what players we're talking about. But I think it's start, time to start getting real with these players uh, and saying we're going to try somebody else. You know, it's only a friendly um, don't fret about it. You're probably going to be back in the squad anyway because, you know, there's this big gap between the players who are playing in the A-League women's versus players overseas. That is, that's the opinion anyway. Yeah. But just to cast the net a little bit wider, just to try something a little bit different, just to pick a bit different profile of player because at the end of the day, friendly matches are for experimentation. Absolutely. And trying the, I mean, the definition of insanity is trying the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. And that's what we're trying here. It's the same thing again. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, for me, I, I don't, I have my criticism after the, you know, the Asian Cup was that we, we seem to maybe have a plan A, but we don't have a plan B. Mm. We don't have a plan C. We don't have a plan D. We don't have any other letter in the alphabet at times. And it's quite disappointing that, a you know, a team full of incredible players, you know, 
from all like playing from in all areas of the world. Mm. We can't our head coach can't create a plan B, C, you know, and everything. So why, like, I'm with you. Why can't we bring in these other players just to test it out and you know to see different playing styles? They don't have to be. I'm not asking for them to be drastic changes from you know at your main core philosophies, but surely have different plans because it seems as if maybe we'll try you know get through in the midfield. We might do a long ball across you know across diagonal ball. Somebody you know Caitlin Ford sprints across the line and then tries to cut back into Sam Kurtz. I've seen that play a million times, and it doesn't seem to work a lot of the time. Why aren't we trying to get some more creative midfielders in there to change it up and, you know, find that, you know, that missing pass? I mean, what really did annoy me from this, and and you mentioned the thing about players having to go overseas, was the disrespect shown towards the A-League women's competition. But I'm not surprised by it because... Tony Gustafsson does not live in Australia. Absolutely. He's here every now and again. He lives in Sweden. He coaches from afar. There is just no way, even if he's got a Paramount Plus subscription and he's watching every game, he, there's he no way. He can replay to see, though. I mean, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, for, uh, like, there is just no way that he's as familiar with the players and the landscape and the talent and then the pool of talent that he would be if he was living here. Exactly. And I think that's why he's he's got an obsession with players playing, you know, in Europe because then it's easier for him to go see them. Go and and he, he's, I'm assuming he's been staying in America for a long time and went working for the U.S. women's national team. He so, also said they were looking at training sessions as well, looking back at like tape from training sessions. And I'm saying, well, if there's players you haven't selected before, how can you see how, how can you judge them? And there was a, there was a tweet uh, a couple of weeks ago from a um, friend of the show, Sam Lewis, saying that um, – Basically, it was a throwaway line on Twitter, of course. I don't want to throw on the bus or anything. But she said, if, if Alex Chidiak doesn't make the uh, the Matilda squad, fold the program. And I'm afraid to say we we're had a good run. <laughs> but ladies and gentlemen. Done. The program's done. We're it's, out. We're out. We're out. We're out. No, no. I think a lot of people, you know, quite rightly, are upset that Alex Chidiak didn't make the team. Because why? If Alex, Chid- if Alex Chidiak was put into the Matilda squad and she played poorly, and Tony Gustafsson didn't pick her next time, you know what? Nobody would complain. But mm. the fact is, you're kind, you're kind, you're now trying to really solidify the squad that you have. So how is she? She hasn't right now got lined up, you know, uh, mm. overseas contract. As far as we know. As far as we know. Like, like that's in, you know. To be negotiated, Exactly. So how can, you know. How is she supposed to get in this squad? And I think multiple people ask that, but I don't really think I got a great answer from Tony Gustafsson in the press conference about how these players are actually supposed to get into it because he's gone about it and, you know, disrespect the A-League women, said, yes, mm, you know, you, you played. But it's you, a short season. It's not yeah, that good. It's not that good. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we're, that doesn't really speak very highly of the, you know, the 2023 legacy, does exactly. it? Exactly. It doesn't really feed into the... Uh, what what this this World Cup is is supposed to achieve if if players in the A League women's aren't aren't really being considered so um, I I do kind of hate that that Cheers has become this uh, I guess this political sticking point now yeah she's become like she the dividing line between the Tony G believers and the Tony G haters and I think she deserves more than that I think that's that's doing her her a disservice, disservice to yeah. make her kind of the lightning rod and I know she. I suspect she she hates this yeah. <laughs> discourse around her and the, and the the outrage and so forth because it probably doesn't help her national team case. Yeah. That, that's the problem I see with this. I guess this team at Football Australia around Gustafsson 
seem to be so ingrained in their view of these players and um, and they, they're so convinced that they're, they're right and yeah, everybody it seems else is as, wrong. It, almo- it seems like they're in denial about yeah, it. Yeah, it almost seems as if they're, they're you know, they're, they're, it's a sort of payback because he spoke, you know, in one mm. breath about, you know, her declining offers to be in the Matilda squad and, you know, then spoke about, you know, you know, this, you've got to do this, 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 this. It's, it's, it's as if, it's like he goes. It's as if the goalposts are being yeah, shifted. Yeah, exactly. He goes, you know, if she's available to be picked if we want to pick her. Well, are you picking her because she's not good enough or because she declined the offer or. It was such, it was such a, a strange answer. Like it was, he gave about six different reasons that all contradicted with each other. Absolutely. And, and that, that to me looked like someone who was saving his own skin. Absolutely. So. Well, you know, you know what, Josh? We had a great A-League women's season. We run. did. We did. Matildas are going to be playing soon. That's okay. I, I love seeing all these – I love all these players and I hope they all, all do well, but I think that our playing style can change. But you know what? We're heading into a new phase with Radio Dub. We've got to start to still try to figure out what we're going to do now with the A-League women's season over. And it's going to be good. I mean, I'm excited. Are you not? I'm excited too. I think uh, we're going to be paying attention to, to the local leagues we are. a little bit more. The, the we, MPL – we're going to be talking about women's super league Absolutely. and with an Australian lens and Australian focus, and I'm excited to see the the next uh, next phase of this program yeah. because uh, you know it's a long old off season, but there's always women's football to talk about. Absolutely, and hopefully we can you know talk to some you know A League women's coaches and you know really talk about the development of women's football in this country. Absolutely. Well, uh, Pakua, as always, it's been a pleasure. It's been cathartic tonight, I think, <laughs> on the Matildas, and it's been fantastic to speak to Amy Jackson as well. I to really lift my spirits is what I need. All right. We're going to get uh, Pakua some fructose and, uh, and lift, her, <laughs> lift her mood uh, and sign off here tonight on Radio Dub. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, we do appreciate your support throughout the season, and, uh, and we'll be back soon with this program with, uh, with a new lens to look through uh, women's football. Pickett, she lays it off, Teresa Polaris! It's an absolute peach! Here's driving! What a hit from Melina Rez! Wow! And Sam Kerr has a hat-trick! Meet him up, 1-0!